right. Good morning. Happy Sunday. Merry Christmas. How are you guys doing? Well, let's just get right into it today. We're, we're diving back into the book of Nehemiah. Uh, we had taken a break last week because of our Q&A uh, that we had done with one another. What did you guys think about the Q&A service last week? Was you guys helpful? Um, well, we will certainly consider. Hopefully it was helpful to you, but we're going to get back into our series or back into our study. Uh, now, if you can remember, I was actually not the last one to teach uh, in the book of Nehemiah. Tate was. Uh, Tate taught a couple weeks ago and he started chapter four for us. And so we're just going to be picking up where he left off and we're going to be looking at that second half of chapter four uh, with a message entitled Battle Ready. And uh, we're going to be looking at verses four, uh, sorry, chapter four, verses 15 through 23. Have you guys ever experienced being caught off guard by something or someone, uh, I have found that usually the damage of being unaware uh, can be much worse than having known ahead of time and been prepared, uh, right? Maybe something like a, a pop quiz some of us are familiar with, right? Pop quiz is something that comes when you are not expecting it, right? It's different than, say, a final or a test that you're expecting, right? And you, so you can study for it. And so sometimes the damage can be a whole lot worse when you're unprepared for a pop quiz. Or maybe you've seen some of those bad hits in football, right? Where the guy doesn't know that the other football player is coming and, and getting him, right? And oftentimes the worst injuries come when the other player is not aware of the tackle that's about to hit them, right? Because at least you could kind of uh, embrace for impact. Uh, or maybe in boxing, I don't have a picture for that one. It might be a little too graphic for us this morning, uh, right? But in boxing, when the other guy doesn't know that the right hook is coming. Uh, and, and oftentimes that's when the worst injuries can happen. Well, today we're gonna see how Nehemiah and the people get ready so that they're not caught off guard. Uh, they experienced some, some uh, encounter with the enemy. And so now they seek to become what I'm calling battle ready. And we're going to see today how out of this Old Testament story, we're going to find truths of scripture to apply to our own lives as Christians. How you and I as Christians are also to be battle ready. Now, that doesn't mean, uh, you know, like, uh, I don't know if you guys have been around for the night in Bethlehem, but we're not going to armor up like some of the Roman centurions, and uh, that's not what I mean by battle ready. Uh, but you and I, according to Scripture, not according to me, it's not my opinion, we are in a spiritual battle. And that's something that can be said so fluidly, so easily. Oh, spiritual battle. Yeah, we're on this spiritual battle. No, there is a spiritual battle for uh, our souls. And as Christians, and as even non-Christians, everyone is engaged in the battle, whether they know it or not. Now, for those that don't know they're in battle, they're probably not doing very well, uh, whether, again, they're aware of it or not. Uh, but you and I are in a spiritual battle, and we're going to find how you and I can be uh, prepared, uh, not caught off guard. One of Satan's best lies is to believe that he doesn't care about you. Uh, or uh, it, I would think even a better lie is the fact that 
that he doesn't exist at all. Uh, but scripture is pretty clear. We have an enemy uh, of God. And so because he is an enemy of God, uh, he is an enemy of us. And so we're going to talk about how we can be prepared for that type of encounter. And we're going to be looking at the story uh, to give us that springboard uh, today. And so last, last time we were in the book of Nehemiah, uh, Tate was teaching through adversity. You guys remember that? Uh, he, he talked a lot about that word adversity, conflict, where the Jews are just there. They're just building the wall. Uh, but now, right, he, he uh, reintroduced uh, Tweedledee and Tweedledum uh, and uh, Sanballat and Tobiah, and they come and knock in, and they got a few things up their sleeve, uh, primarily trying to discourage them, uh, then at some point trying to even, uh, you know, infiltrate and, and, and scare and, and these different tactics that they used. And uh, we saw how Tate kind of used that as a parallel to talk about our own Christian life, how... One of Satan's favorite tools to use is discouragement. That if he can just get us discouraged to do anything for God, uh, then, then he'll have us right where he wants us. But uh, though we're not building a wall, uh, we are kingdom builders. We don't do it by bricks. Uh, we do it by prayers. We do it by scripture. We do it by worship. We do it by the holiness of our lives. And we seek to live for the Lord. And so we're going to pick it back up uh, where we left off in Nehemiah 4, and we're going to finish off the chapter, okay? So we're going to read starting in verse 15, and then we'll read all the way to the end of chapter 4. All right, you guys have your Bibles with you? Yes? Let me see them. Can I, can I see your Bibles? Because like they're on your lap, so I can't see them, so it feels discouraging. Okay, look, we're all in this together. We're all going through it. We're reading through it. This is good. All right. I'm mostly preaching to myself. All right, verse 15. Verse 15, and it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built and the other one surrounded the trumpet who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Verse 21, so we labored in the work, and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. At the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servants stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night and a working party by day. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. God in heaven, um, we, we come before you uh, in faith. Now, Lord, we don't pray out of just routine, but we pray out of need. Um, 
Lord, we, we approach your throne this morning in a way that we really want to hear from you. We want you to teach us through your word. And we know that you provided uh, this story that we're reading today, this historical narrative, this, this real event, uh, Lord, not just for our learning, but our growth. And so, Lord, we present to you our minds, our hearts, and everything we are, and ask that you would really speak to us and change us. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. So let's look back at that very first verse we read. All right, look at verse 15. And what we find is a frustrated enemy. And verse 15 is kind of that that middle verse that, that connects what Tate had talked about two weeks ago and what we're talking about today. Verse 15 is that middle verse, that connecting Verse And verse 15 describes for us that the enemy uh, of the people of Israel at this time, Sambalat and Tobiah, uh, they started figuring out that the Jews were on to their plan. That they were plotting, they were planning, and that the Jews found out about it. And notice who Nehemiah gives the credit to. And it says, and that God had brought their plot to nothing. God had brought their plot to nothing. The idea that God brought their plot to nothing is the idea that he frustrated their plan. I like that. That that God frustrated the plan of the enemy. He foiled it. He broke it to pieces. That they wanted the people to stop building. That was their goal. They, They tried through discouragement They tried through spreading some lies about an infiltration. They did it a variety of ways, but it didn't work out. And I love that Nehemiah is like, God brought their plan to nothing. They had their plan and God reversed it on their own head. And very simply, before we jump into really what it looks like for us to be battle ready and how the people were battle ready, uh, we need a really soak in this, it's a simple truth, but it's a big truth. The fact that God is able to frustrate the plan of the enemy in our lives. Meaning that, you know how you've heard that God has a plan for you, right? God has a plan and a future and a hope, and that's good and that's scriptural. That's in the Bible. He does have a plan. Uh, he, had a, he has a plan for your life from beginning to end before you were even born. But guess who else has a plan? Satan. He's got it all planned out. This is what he wants. This, he's got desires for you, big plans, but they're just not for good. Uh, they're for evil, right? They, they are to bring you as far away from God as possible, to bring you as far away from being effective, uh, an effective kingdom builder in any way, wants you nothing. Uh, have nothing to do with uh, building God's kingdom, encouraging God's people, making disciples. Uh, That's his plan. But I'm encouraged the fact that we have a God who is, has a plan for us and his plan can outrank the plan of Satan and that he is able to frustrate the plan of the enemy in our life. And, And this is something that we need to understand and look to. Now, are there times when, when the enemy can do certain things? Yeah, uh, for sure. We saw it right here, right? They were able to discourage, able, able to say, say their things. But at the end of the day, 
their, their plan was frustrated. And so there, there might be small victories, uh, small battles, uh, but God ultimately wins the war, right? We, we know Satan's end. Uh, he's going to get his, his time, and, and, and ultimately, we need to have this perspective. Job chapter 5, verse 12, you can note what the Bible says. He frustrates the devices of the crafty so that their hands cannot carry out their plans. I think this is a great prayer for you and I to adopt in our lives, in our lives and as we pray for other people. I think a consistent prayer should be prayed, God, frustrate the enemy's plans in my life today. I think we should wake up in the morning and we think, God, I wanna follow your plan for my life today. I don't wanna go to the right, that was, this is the left. I don't want to go to, I guess it's your right though. I don't want to go to the left. I don't want to go to the right. I just want to stay in the pathway. And another prayer we can pray is say, and God, I know Satan has plans for me today. I know the enemy, maybe it's not Satan himself, but his dominions, his, uh, his fallen angels, his, his demons, that they have plans for me today. God, would you frustrate the plans of the enemy? You know when your plans get frustrated, where you're going somewhere and you're excited to go and then you guys get a flat tire? That, your plans were just frustrated right there, right? We have a leader that's not here today uh, because she, her, she got a flat tire. She had some plans. Uh, there, was, there was something that happened with her tire and uh, now she's not here. And, and those plans were, were frustrated in that way. I believe God loves to just step in and mess up what the enemy had planned. He loves to take his evil intentions and then turn it for good. And that's how powerful and awesome God is. And we need to revel in that fact and pray that fact. And I think that should not be something we only pray over our own lives, but pray over the lives of others, right? Because we see people in our lives that it's like, man, it just feels like they're just like going down the path that Satan would want them to go down. It's just so clear. Just going down that path. God, would you step in and frustrate the plan of the enemy in their life? That's a, that's a great prayer to pray. And this is a biblical principle. 2 Corinthians 2.11, you can look on the screen. It's that second verse. It says, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Everyone listen. Satan wants to take advantage of your life. He wants to take advantage of you. You know what it means to take advantage of someone? Right? It's kind of how, how like a salesman would take advantage of, say, someone who is, who is uh, on the elderly side of things and maybe uh, that all the, the cognitive wheels are no longer turning. And so the salesman would right, try to sell a, someone uh, something that they don't really need and they take advantage of those who might be uh, you know, in, in that state of mind. Does that make sense? And Satan wants to take advantage of our weaknesses. He wants to exploit them. But the awesome thing is that we don't have to be ignorant of his devices, his ways of thinking. That scripture, and one of the things that we're looking at today, we can kind of know, okay, this is one of the ways that Satan wants to, uh, to deal with us and to get us off the, the plan that God has for us, right? Tate talked all about discouragement. And that's one of his favorite tools, right? That's one of his favorite things to do is to try to discourage us and get us off, you know, just get us so down that all we see is our own pit of despair when there is a sunrise to be followed. Isaiah 54 verse 17, we should trust these promises. Scripture gives them to us. Romans 8 31, that, that the fact that no weapon formed against us should prosper, 
If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, does that mean we just name and claim it and I'm not going to experience anything bad because if God is for me, who can be against me? No. We trust God in the good and the bad, right? Like Job, he said, whether you give or take away, I'm going to praise you. But we should know that whatever type of spiritual darkness that we might encounter in our lives, however that looks like, uh, that it, it only goes so far. I like to think of Satan on a leash, right? We see that kind of with, with the story of Job, that, that God let out some of the line and the leash got a little bit more loose and he was able to mess around with Job's life, but it was all father filtered. It was all in the, in the knowledge and, and control of God. Satan didn't have his like, what, do whatever he wants. And in our life, God says, I'm not gonna let him do whatever he wants, but I will give him some slack. Now, that's a theological discussion for another day. I don't know why God does that. Um, God has seen fit uh, to allow Satan to be the ruler of this world for this time. There's gonna be a day that, that Satan gets his own and he's put away forever. But right now is not that day. And God uses it though uh, for our good. Now, before we move on, I wanna give you just a little insight, okay? And one of the weaknesses of our enemy that, that we face. And we find it from this story, and I think it parallels into the enemy of our souls. So notice, the, the people kind of begin to understand, okay, this is what's happening, and this is what's going on with the enemy, this is his tactics, these are his plans, and as soon as they become aware of it, the enemy realizes that they know, and what do they do? Tweedledee, Tweedledum, Sand, Sandballot, Tobiah, they leave. That for this period of time at the end of Nehemiah 4, the enemy is not at the walls. They're not there anymore. They left. And what we find here is that just a little bit of resistance, the enemy flees. Satan isn't dumb, but he is a coward. Okay? We, we see that in scripture. And the fact is that he who is in us is greater that he, than he who is in the world. That our, the weapons of our warfare are strong, mighty in God, and there's no match for what the enemy can put up. And what I found, just a little bit of resistance, the enemy backs down. Uh, but it's when we kind of give into those thoughts, it's when we begin to follow the path that, that now he, he gets a little encouraged and, and takes more and more ground and more and more uh, advantage of us. And if we would just step up and like the Bible says, submit to God and resist the devil. Now, does that mean we're saying, devil, get you away from me, Satan? No, we're not, we're not saying weird things like that. But we're using scripture, we're submitting to God, we're being, obeying him, we're recognizing, I'm discouraged right now, this is not from God, and we're submitting to the word of God that Satan has no choice but to back up. Not because of us, but because of the Lord. There's a large, there's a statistic out there that talks about how if just one person would step up to a, a bully in a school and just say, knock it off, that the percentage, it's a very high percentage that that bully would, would begin to, now it's not you know, foolproof, but would begin to back down because often bullies are the biggest cowards, but they, they just take, take advantage where they can. And if we would just resist Satan, 
uh, he'll have to back down. And so uh, look at there at the end of verse 15. It describes for us that they, after this whole kind of shenanigans with, with these guys, uh, they get back to work, right? They go to their place on the wall and get back to what they're doing. But they went about things a little bit differently. This time, and what I want to point to your attention, is that they went back to work being battle ready. All right, everyone say battle ready. Look, though the enemy was no longer at the walls, Nehemiah wasn't, wasn't going to just go back to work as normal. He was going to switch things up a little bit. They're going to keep building, but they're going to be ready for when the enemy was sure to attack again in whatever way that might look like. I want you to note down Luke chapter 4, verse 13. Luke chapter 4, verse 13. The Bible says this, Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he, being the devil, departed from him, being Jesus, until an opportune time. Does anyone know what period in Jesus' life this verse takes place? Anyone know? So this takes place during his 40 days of fasting when he was being tempted by Satan in the wilderness for 40 days. At the end of that, Satan's like, all right, this is not working. I'm going to leave. It says that the devil left from him until an opportune time. The idea of opportune time is, is he's going to look for the perfect moment. And so though you might not be experiencing any kind of spiritual warfare, no discouragement, uh, no this, no that, whatever it might be, uh, you know, you're like, yeah, everything's, everything's peachy right now. Don't think it's going to always be like that. And maybe you came coming out of a season where God, is, God has healed you or God has encouraged you and, and now it's coming out of a, a new season. Uh, Satan's always looking for another opportunity, right? He's always looking for an unlocked door. He's always looking, okay, is this, is this door unlocked? Okay, let's, let's go through this one. And so we must be always prepared uh, for that. And for the people, uh, they were going to get prepared. They were no longer just going to be reactive, but proactive. Do you know what it means to be proactive? Right? If I was going to be proactive to protect my home, I would go out and get a security system. I would go out and uh, get some cameras. I would go out and get, some, get some, some good locks, right? To be reactive would be trying to buy security cameras when you're being robbed, right? It'd be like, okay, this, wait, that's the wrong reaction, uh, but it's, it's too late. To be proactive is to do things in advance. And listen, if we aren't proactive Christians, we are going to get caught off guard. We're going to get blindsided. It's going to be like that pop quiz. It's going to be like that linebacker coming full speed. And so we must be prepared and ready for whatever uh, is thrown away. And how do we do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. There are three ways I want to share with you that you and I are to be battle ready. Three ways that we're going to look at in our text uh, that the people uh, and Nehemiah were ready and specifically battle ready. All right, you guys ready for the first one? Are you sure? You think you can handle it? All right, the first one is that to be battle ready, there has to be the balance of building and battling, all right? The balance of building and battling. Not just building, not just battling, but doing them together. And so they get back to work, but they adapted this work. Uh, this time they weren't just gonna build just in, 
in bliss, acting like no one wanted them to stop. They were going to do it in a way that they were ready for whatever may come their way. Look back at verse 19. Sorry, not verse 19, uh, verse 16. Look back at verse 16. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction, while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Verse 17. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves. Notice, pay, pay special close attention. So that with one hand, they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. Now, to hold a weapon while trying to construct a wall, is that the, is that the best way to go about it? No. Is it the wise way? Certainly. Uh, to, to give effort to both of these areas was going to prepare them in case anything were to happen. You guys have heard the phrase, fool me once, right? Shame on me. Fool, uh, sorry. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Right? Meaning, okay, you get me once, all right. But you get me the second time, then it's on me. Well, Nehemiah was not going to allow this to happen a second time without being prepared. And so they had a tool in one hand and a sword or a weapon in the other. And I want you to get this picture, okay? A shovel and a sword. That's what they had. One was for building, one was for battling. And in our lives as Christians, we need to be both good at building and good at battling. That we need to have the shovel in one hand and the sword in the other. Now, now what am I talking about though? Now, what is this, does this mean that you should all go out and get some samurai swords and uh, tell your parents not to go to Home Depot because Pastor Joel said to get some shovels, so I got to, hey, you know, try to go to school the next day with a samurai sword and a giant shovel. It's not going to look too good. No, right? So what, what does this look like? Well, I, I want you to think about the, the shovel, okay, the tool, the, the, the building. What, what does this mean uh, in, in our life as Christians, well, I believe it represents our service to God, right? Anything we would do, this comes in all shapes, forms, and sizes, whether it's praying for someone, whether it's encouraging someone, whatever we might do to influence the kingdom of God. It could be faithfulness in the ministry, just showing up. It could be sharing your faith with someone, doing something good for someone in the name of Jesus, right? Giving you a, giving a, a cup of cold water to someone in need. Uh, it could be that simple, according to the Bible. Living in a way that just pleases God, right? Being a good witness, having a life that is holy, representing how Jesus would have lived. That is building. That's the hammering. That's the setting brick upon brick, right? We're not called to build a wall like Nehemiah. We are called to build his kingdom. And we do that in simple ways, we do that in simply the day-to-day the, the -day way we live. We do that by stepping out of our comfort zone and sharing our faith with someone. We do that by coming alongside a new believer in Christ and sharing with them maybe the little bit that we know, disciple-making, right? We do that by, by being Jesus' hands and feet, by, by supplying uh, physical needs to meet someone's spiritual need. That's building, Right? And we should all be doing that as Christians. We shouldn't just be sitting on our hands, but we should be building. But the problem is if all we focus on 
is the building, then there's something that's going to be missing. We need to also be good at the battling. And the battling for the life of the believer would represent the way that we attack the work of the enemy in our life. So remember I talked about how God has a plan for us and Satan has a plan for us, yes? So in a similar way, God wants to work in our life and Satan would love to work in our life. But it is by the sword that we attack back, right? We, we defend and we also sometimes need to do some offense in the area of, no, I'm not gonna allow Satan's work to happen in my life. The enemy desires us to stop the building. Hey, anything that, that Satan can do to just get you to just put the shovel down, put the hammer down, put the brick down, whatever he can do for you to stop being used by God, he's going to do. And that's where the sword comes in. God has not left us defenseless against the attacks of the enemy, right? And now all of you should be thinking about Ephesians chapter six, right? The armor of God. And if you have any familiarity within the children's ministry here, I hope that you have some understanding of the armor of God. It's not just a, a cute thing to be able to teach to children's ministry, but it is vitally important for our lives. And if you've ever been taught about the armor of God, there is one offensive weapon, right? And it is the sword. And Ephesians chapter six, verse 17 says, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Listen, you don't, you don't attack Satan with um, handguns, hand grenades, or atomic warfare. Okay, you just, you just, you're, not gonna, you're not gonna get to him that way. Uh, the way that you attack the work of Satan, it's not that you sh we should all be these like Satan slayers, right? Like, man, I'm just gonna get really good with God's word and I'm gonna go and find just like demons. I'm just gonna slay them. Okay, that's, that's not a thing. Right, it's, it's, it's for, right, the people didn't go out. They stayed at the wall doing their work, but if, if, if the enemy was gonna come, they were gonna be ready. And how are they gonna be ready? They, they had their sword. And you see, for us, you wanna fight against Satan's work in your life, which can come through very subtle and small forms. It is the word of God. Let's just take that, that aspect of discouragement that was talked about just a couple weeks ago. How do you defeat it? It is through the word of God. It is by the word of God, right? In Matthew chapter four, we talked about Luke chapter four, Matthew chapter four or Luke chapter four, either one. That's the temptation of Jesus. During that time, how did Jesus defend himself? Did he go looking for Satan? Was he like, oh, I know where Satan is. He's in the wilderness. I'm going to go there and then not eat for 40 days and be tempted by him. No, the spirit led him into the, the wilderness. Satan met him there and he defended himself when he was tempted by the word of God. He, uh, he wielded the sword and, and, and attacked when attacked upon, right? It was that self-defense in that way. That, that Satan would tempt him with things that, hey, change the, the stones into bread. Hey, jump off this and the angels will carry you. And he's like, uh, well, the Bible says this, the Bible says that, and the Bible says this. He was able to resist temptation. What Satan wanted him to do, 
He was able to resist it and fight against it, battle by the word of God. This is why it's so important for us to know God's word from front to cover. And some of you, you you're defenseless. That, that Satan wants to work in your life. And in a lot of ways, he's, man, there's things that you're playing into. You're not going down fully down God's path. You're going down some of the enemy's path, but you have, you're defenseless. It's like you have no, you got no sword. You don't know God's word. And so when those thoughts of discouragement come, when, when things happen in life and, and, and man, it just seems like there's some demonic influence that you, you're not going to know how to respond. And so it's so important to, to know the promises of God in scripture, know the truth so that in those times we can bring ourselves back to the word of God. Does that make sense? All right, cool. So we're to be building, and when the enemy comes knocking, we are to be battling, all right? And we gotta be, we gotta be good at both. You, you, can't, you can't just have one. We gotta wield both the sword and the shovel. Make sense? Any questions on that? All right, let's move on to number two. The, the second way that we can be battle ready is, is realizing the importance of rallying together. Realizing that, that the, the battle we're in if we try to go about it alone, it's not going to go very well. It's not going to go very well. We, we find in these verses that, that Nehemiah gathers the people together, right? And so he, he makes sure they're back on the wall. They got their sword. They got their shovel. They're, they're building them back to work. They're ready. Uh, but then he gathers them together. And he says, hey, okay, before we go and really put our hands to the work, um, man, we got a lot to do here. And we're spread out, right? Because someone was on one side of the wall and maybe a mile and a half down, they're on another side. And so what happens if the enemy attacks? What, what do they do? Well, one of the things that Nehemiah says is he says, look, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally together, come back and God will fight for us. Meaning, what, what is he talking about? He's saying, if we come together, that is going to enable God to fight for us. We're going to be our strongest when we are together. Does that mean they're always together? No. Right? They're, they're at their place on the wall. But there are certain times that when the trumpet was blown, they were to gather together. Does that, does that make sense? And what, what we find here is that Nehemiah recognizes a, a danger in doing things apart from each other. The danger of isolation. Uh, the Bible describes for us that, that a man or woman who isolates himself does not do a wise thing and rages against all wise counsel. And one of the things that I know the enemy loves to do in our life is to isolate us, is to get us away from other people. Because God, right, so often he wants us to get together. He's all about relations, relationships. He's all about gathering together. He says, hey, don't forsake the gathering of believers. He describes us as a body, like arms and legs that need one another. And Satan wants us to be like, no, you can do church from home. You don't really need to go. Like, just, do, just, just stay home and just watch it. Satan would love that. You're like, but, but he'd love me to watch church? Yeah, he would love you to watch church from home for the rest of your life. Because then you're not around other people. 
You're not influencing other people. You're not encouraging one another. And soon, because you're isolated, you'll become so disconnected, so discouraged that you'll be ineffective for the kingdom of God. Perfect. Listen, if he can't, if he can't, right, and once your soul is saved, he can't do anything. But what he can do is, is uh, disarm you uh, from your, with your shovel to be used in anyone else's life. And so Nehemiah says, hey, rally together when you hear that sound. It means to assemble, to, to gather in one place. And I like this word, rally. And that's what we're doing here right now. Look around. We're, we are rallying together. We sing, we get in God's word, and we're to do this. Are we together all the time? No, I'm not with you on Mondays or Tuesdays, maybe Wednesday nights, Thursdays or Fridays or Saturdays. We're not all with each other, but there are certain times we got to come together, build one another up, encourage one another, and that disarms the enemy in our life. That's what gets us, okay, it corrects our path, making sure that we're not allowing Satan to work in our lives, but we're allowing God to have the, the first and foremost reign. I can't emphasize this enough. Listen, for you to be an effective kingdom builder, you can't do it alone. You can't. You gotta do it with one another. That's why having believing friends is, is crucial. Having spiritual support is vital. Coming to church is not just something that, that we do. It is something we must do in order to be proper kingdom builders. Make sense? So that's number two, rallying together. Uh, you want to look at the third and final? You guys ready for it? Third and final, we must be putting in the work. We must be putting in the work. And man, work has become such like a dirty word. It's become like a bad word. It's like, oh, work. I don't want to work. I don't want to go to work. I want to work. I want to work in my life so then I can retire and then no longer work. And work's become such a, just like, ah, oh, I got to do work. I got to do yard work. I got to do homework. I got to go to school and do work. Oh man, I, my dad has to go to work. But work is a good thing. Now, there are things that you could work at and there's no benefit. But you see, God created work. And when you put in the work towards the right things, it is worth the work. It is worth it. And putting in the work for the kingdom of God, it is worth it. There's some things that just aren't worth the work. For real. There are some things like, yeah, that's not, that's not worth that. But for the kingdom of God, every, every effort, every ounce, everything you do for the Lord will be remembered, will be rewarded. And that's awesome, which means it's worth it. It's not only worth it on this side of eternity, but we're going to see the full worth of the work that we put in for Jesus here when we get to eternity. And I'm going to trust that if God says, I'm going to reward you for everything, like everything, so much so he says that if you give someone a glass of cold water and say, this is in the name of Jesus that I give you this and, and they need it, not just like, don't just give your sibling a glass of water um, and act like you're going to get a reward for it. Maybe if you're serving them and you have a right heart, but uh, you know, someone in need, Right? God says, I will remember. Does God forget things? No. And it is worth putting in the work, but it is work. And anything that is worthy, anything that is worth it, takes effort. Is there anything in your life that takes no effort and is like fantastic? No, it's, it's almost everything. People will ruin your life over time. Okay? And even that 
take some work sometimes. But anyway, um, look, they, they labored in the work. Look, look there in verse 21. It says, so we labored in the work and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. At the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servant stay at night. So night shift in Jerusalem that they may be our guard by night and a working party by day. So neither, notice verse 23, so neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. They didn't leave their guard down. They wouldn't leave their post. They knew that if they did, right, if they took a day off and they're like, ah, let's just like take a vacation, that it wouldn't go well, that, that the work of God would, would cease because the enemy would, would infiltrate. They had this constant readiness. And listen, you and I need to be constantly ready. And we see that from sunrise to sunset, that they were there and they were putting in the work. They had the night shift. And and for us, it's not just the, maybe, maybe you start serving in, in children's ministry or service, and it's just that, that, you know, that second service. No, no, that, that's, that's just the cherry on top from your week of service to the Lord. Or maybe you're serving at night in Bethlehem. That's awesome. I mean, it's, it's freezing and cold, and that, I mean, you're going to get rewards for that if you do it with the right heart. That's awesome. But that's not, that's not like, oh, yeah, I serve God. No, no, it's, it's night and day. It, the, the, the building and the battling, there's no time that, that we should set down the shovel and the sword. It's, a, it's constant. Now, if you look at verse 23, we find that there is, there is a balance, but it does show their dedication. Verse 23 talks about, and it's kind of weird. I don't know. I read that at first. I'm like, they don't take off their clothes except for washing. Why, why is this even in the Bible? Um, but think about it. It shows their dedication. It's the idea that they weren't right, concerned with what they were wearing, that there were times that they needed to actually wash their clothes, but it shows their de- means they slept, they worked, they did everything, and the, they, that's not what they were concerned with. They were concerned with the work at hand, right? But that doesn't mean there wasn't a time for renewal, right, for that time to wash up. And even in our own lives, there are times when, like Peter had his feet washed by Jesus. We need, to, we need to get our clothes washed, right? We need to get our feet washed. We need to be renewed. And the Bible describes in Ephesians chapter five that it's God's word that is, has this washing effect. Psalm 119 talks about how the word of God renews and revives us. And there are those times when, of course, we're serving, we're battling, we're building. But man, there's those times when we need to uh, go before the Lord, and we need him to, to wash us by the water of his word. And so, so yeah, that's, that's Nehemiah chapter four. It's pretty good stuff, right? And so, look, the, the enemy plotted a plan, yet God frustrated the plans of the enemy. And I just, I'm so thankful for that. that if that's the only thing we talked about today, I could go home. And I'm thanking God that, that he is able to frustrate the plans of the enemy in our life, and that Whatever slack Satan might have, it's, it's in all in God's control. And is not the ultimate example of that the cross of Christ, right? Where he's able, that Satan has this plan and God's able to really mess it up, right? Think about it. In Satan's mind, Jesus just died, publicly humiliated, he's dead. 
victory. This is the greatest victory Satan's ever had. And three days later, it not only turned out like not as good for Satan, it, it turned out to be the worst event in Satan's entire life that will be and will ever be because what Jesus did by raising from the dead was he defeated the power of death, darkness, and sin. And really, that was the, the, the judgment of Satan himself. And all his ways and all his, where all his plans were, were frustrated, right? And we should rejoice and praise God for that. And so we need to be battle ready because there's gonna be a day where we don't have to deal with Satan anymore. Amen? I mean, that, that I, can't, I can't wait for that day. We don't have to deal with sin. We don't have to deal with ourselves. We don't have to deal with discouragement. Uh, I, I can't wait. But for now, uh, he's around. And so we got to be prepared. We got to be building for God's kingdom, right? We shouldn't be so focused on like slaying Satan that like there's like souls that are right one by one going to hell. We, we need to be, we need to be both. We need to be building and standing in the gap for lost souls, telling them about the hope of Jesus that we have. Uh, but at the same time, uh, remembering the importance of, of coming together, right? This isn't something that we just do because God tells us to do it. It's something that we need to do. And finally, we got to put in the hard work. Anything worth doing takes effort. And so we'll end here. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. There's a lot of work to be done. Uh, the work, as Nehemiah said, is great and extensive, uh, but God invites us to be part of it and gives us all the tools that we need. So the question is, are you going to put in, in the work? Lord, we come before you and we do uh, thank you for this time in your word. We, we pray that these truths would just, Lord, really penetrate our hearts and our minds and our lives. Lord, we want to be prepared. Lord, we want to be effective soldiers for Jesus Christ. We want to be effective kingdom builders. And Lord, we know that we do that just by, the, by simple things. Uh, Lord, by by being a good witness for Jesus, by watching the things that we say and the things that we do. And Lord, by sharing our faith with someone. Simple things. By praying for someone, encouraging someone. Lord, that in, in your government, in your perspective of things, Lord, that is putting one brick on top of the other. And Lord, we know that your heart is for people. Your heart is for the lost. Lord, would you, would you just bend our hearts to the same way? Lord, that, that we want to have that same heart as you. And so, Lord, I just pray over these students. I pray that you would frustrate the plans of the enemy in their life. And Lord, you describe to us in your word that some are taken captive by Satan to do his will. Well, we don't think about that often. Lord, but are there any parts of our lives where we're taken captive? I pray that you would break those chains of captivity today, of sin, of disobedience. Lord, and that for all of us, we would stay right on the path that you have before us. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen.